Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast, hosted by longtime Northwest sports journalist Dan Viennes. News, reaction, and opinion. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. And if that throws you for a loop, don't worry, nothing's really changed. It's just the uh, continuation of the old Field Goals podcast feed. Um, if you listen to that show, then you probably heard us talk about it. I'll just repeat briefly here. Um, Vox Media got rid of podcasts on all their websites, uh, but they did us um, they did us all a favor, and they 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 offered us the opportunity to keep the feed alive. And um, Brandon was doing so with the Seahawkers podcast. Dana had her hands in a whole bunch of other things, and so they let me take the feed. So it is now the Seahawks Forever podcast, but not a whole lot's going to change. It's me. It's the way I do things. It's going to be the same roster of guests. I'm still going to lean heavily at those guys at field goals and Dana and Brandon and Clinton and, and uh, all the people that I met through that association will still be a part of this show. So don't worry about that. But we have some, some stuff to get to today and some stuff to talk about. I had to wait through the weekend to, um, to, for this switch to complete. Um, uh, there's just some technical issues on, it, it took a while for the feed to populate to the new site. Uh, that is done now. There was a chance that if I had done a show over the weekend, it might not have gotten out to you. It might've just kind of gotten lost in the ether. Um, so let's just get to it <laughs> because some things happened over the weekend since the last time we talked, right? The Seahawks have been very, very active in free agency. I'll talk a little bit about what I think that means. Um, but just to recap, you know, they signed Devin Bush, uh, former 10th pick in the draft. Pittsburgh Steelers. They signed Evan Brown, center guard from the Detroit Lions. They signed Julian Love, safety corner from the New York Giants. And they re-signed Drew Locke to be their backup quarterback. There's something all of these players have in common. They're all at the end of their first contract, and they're all in that 25-24, in the case of Devin Bush, although he'll, he turns 25 pretty shortly, uh, 24, 25, 26 years old. Physical prime, prime of their career, ascending, Seahawks believe, ascending players. But we also have some breaking news to talk about today. The Seahawks made it official today. They have released veteran defensive tackle, nose tackle, Al Woods. And the timing of this is interesting, and I want to get into that. Because, first of all, what does it mean? The Seahawks have completely now, officially, rebuilt their interior defensive line. Pete Carroll talked about it at the end of last season that they needed to get longer, bigger, stronger, quicker, more dynamic is the word he used. And he specifically talked about the San Francisco 49ers, where they're at with their defensive line. And he specifically name dropped Eric Armstead in addition to Nick, Nick Bosa, who every general manager in football is going to name drop when he's talking about guys that he would like to have up front, right? But I thought Armstead was more telling. Tall, long, long arms, and so what have they done? They've moved on from Quentin Jefferson. They've moved on from Shelby Harris. 
Puna Ford is still out there as a free agent. They haven't brought him back yet. And now Al Woods. And they bring in Draymond Jones, their big free agent signing from Denver. They bring Jaron Reed back. They've gotten younger there. They've gotten longer. They've added some pass rush skill, I think. And they've. I do think that those players are more dynamic than the ones they let walk. But why now for Al Woods? He was, only, he was the only true nose tackle on the roster. I mean, he, he could be the poster child for what you look for in a traditional 3-4 nose. Uh, other than maybe Brian Monet, but there's some question as to what his career is going to look like moving forward. That knee injury was more than just a clean ACL tear at the end of last year. Can't count on him, I don't believe, for the 2023. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if they reach an injury settlement from him and save him even more money. By the way, this move, releasing Al Woods today, saves the team about $3.6 million in cap space. So why now? Why not release him at the beginning of free agency, give him a chance to get out there when the market's fresh, and find his next move? The Seahawks tend to do that, and they tend to do right by their players and give them those opportunities, but I also think they're trying to protect themselves too. And and I think they make these decisions in a fluid manner. I think they saw a scenario where Al Woods would still be on this roster and have a place and, and not have to go into the draft counting on taking a guy. That might be some of your first reactions is, well, now that they've released Al Woods, they're really going to go hunting nose tackles in the draft. And I do think that's going to happen. I talked about it on Twitter as soon as this news broke. Guys like Mazzy Smith and Siaki Aika, um, uh, even Keanu Benton could maybe fit in that role. There's some other guys that look like true nose tackles in this draft. But you can't go into the draft counting on getting one of those guys. And that's not what John Schneider and Pete Carroll's MO has ever been. They like to hedge the entire roster so they can go into the draft looking for certain things, but not having to take players at certain positions. They didn't release Al Woods today thinking, it's okay, we'll just draft Mazzy Smith at 20 or 37 next month or Ica. They're not doing that. What we've seen for the last couple of weeks, what did we see last week? They released Shelby Harris and Quentin Jefferson, pretty close together. And then came the announcements that they, they had signed some other free agents. I suspect there's a move coming and that they needed to free up this money in order to make the move. And I think it's one of two things. It, it could be someone we're not even thinking about because John Schneider did say specifically last week when they had the big day at the VMAC and they signed all these guys to their contracts on that same day. Schneider went on his radio show, and I love that he's doing that, by the way, on Seattle Sports 710, because this time of year, he's usually very quiet. He usually only speaks at the required press uh, conference at the Combine, and then they have a pre-draft press conference that he and Pete always do a couple of nights before the draft. So he's usually really quiet this time of year. But I love hearing him, even though he doesn't give us everything, he gives us some things. And and to hear him speak on a weekly basis now is pretty cool. And one of the things he did on his last radio show is, first of all, he broke the news that we had signed Drew Locke. That was cool. They had literally just come to that agreement. Nobody else knew. But he also told the guys, uh, I think it's Bob Stelton and uh, Dave Wyman, former Seahawks linebacker. He said, hey, we're working on signing another defensive lineman. We're talking to some guys right now. We're working on that. A couple of guys since then have gone off the market, including the former Husky, Greg Gaines, 
former Husky, former Ram, signed with Tampa Bay. I thought he might be one of the possibilities. There's some other guys out there, Ashawn Robinson and some other players that might fit. But what if it's Puna Ford? What if it's bringing Puna back? He's been out there now for two weeks, hasn't signed with anyone. Very little. There was a report yesterday that maybe Buffalo was looking at him, but I don't think he's made any visits yet. And there's been very little buzz. Remember, Puna's not that traditional size. Barely six foot, if that. But his strength is his, his, his lower half and his leverage and his ability to play that nose tackle. And Pete talked last year about how they played him out of position. They played him at defensive end. It just didn't work. Three, three tech, five tech. They were, they were asking him to do things that he wasn't built to do. So what if this is a sign that maybe Puna's on his way back? Just a thought. Also, obviously, everyone on a daily basis now asking what's going on with Bobby Wagner. Is he coming back? Could this help? KJ Wright went on his radio show this morning and was asked about that. Obviously, KJ and Bobby are close, good friends. Uh, KJ came out to, to hang out with, with Bobby when he was up here on his bye week during the, during the Ram season. Um, KJ specifically said, we need to get Bobby back. We need this walking hall of famer back here. He was asked, do you have any insight? He said, not really. Other than to tell you that a, he's going to wait as long as he can in this market to see if he can leverage it for as much as he can. This might be the last significant contract of his career. He's got to make sure he takes the right deal. Remember he's act- acting as his own agent as well. But he also did acknowledge that, hey, there's mutual interest. Bobby would like to come back here. The team wants him back. It just has to work for both sides. So maybe this is a precursor to that as well. But one way or another, I would would imagine, based on what we've seen so far in the way the Seahawks do this, that we might see another corresponding move soon. Again, Al Woods released today, 36 years old, 12 years in the league. Uh, He took 2020 off. He was one of those guys that took that COVID year off. Um, I almost forgot about this. Played two games with Seattle back in 2011, his second year in the league. Uh, He's been here continually, though, since 2019, except for the year off. Four and a half sacks over that time, 12 tackles for loss. Great locker room leader. And again, it saves $3.6 million against the cap. Um, What I found this interesting as well. I want to talk a little bit more about what KJ Wright said on his radio show and respond to that because he, he was asked how he felt about free agency so far. And he's, he had some positive things to say for the most part. But he also talked about on offense. He said, bring Bobby back. And he said on offense, we need another receiver, need another weapon for Geno, a guy that can work the middle of the field, right? Go against linebackers, which fits right in with what the rest of us have kind of seen as a potential draft priority. Um, unfortunately, I think that's what they thought they were going to get from D. Eskridge. It just hasn't materialized. But then he also specifically said, we need a right guard too. Wonder what Phil Haynes feels about that. His former teammate Phil Haynes signed to starter money, four million dollars this offseason. Um, none of us think he's guaranteed to be the starting right guard, right? Could be Evan Brown. They see him as a center, but if they draft a center, uh, Evan Brown could start at right guard. Uh, but I just thought that was interesting. Here's another thing I want to say about the Evan Brown sign. Is what if in a similar way to some people think bringing Drew Locke back as our backup makes it more likely the Seahawks might consider a quarterback at five if the right one is there. B. 
because he just absolutely will not have to be counted on to play this year. I think you can say the same thing about this Evan Brown move. Signed to a one-year deal. His uh, his grades two years ago when he was a full-time starter at center for Detroit are outstanding, especially in pass protection. Didn't grade out as well as a right guard last year. Um, in pass protection, but but improved from everything I hear in run blocking. Um, but he's a guy that gives you a hedge going into the draft. So now, here's my thought on that. Lots of talk the last week about John Michael Schmitz, the report from Tony Pauline of Pro Football Network that Seahawks really like him and may consider him at 20, which a lot of people freaked out about because they think that's too high for a center. But the thought is that he's not going to be there by 37. And sometimes that's just what you have to do if there's a guy you really like, right? Uh, but lots of talk about Schmitz and Luke Whipler and, and Oli Oluwatimi and some of those guys that could step right in that are experienced. Lots and lots of starts at the college level at a high level at center. But maybe a guy like Evan Brown allows you to take someone else that you can see being a center but hasn't played the position full-time. There's a couple of those guys. You hear about those guys every year in the draft, right? Oh, I think he, he projects well to center. He could be a center. To me... The guy that pops to mind is Cody Mauk. He's the guy you saw him at the Senior Bowl and made a big deal out of the fact he lost some teeth in a basketball accident when he was younger. 6'5", 302 pounds out of North Dakota State. Played left tackle, former tight end. Played left tackle for them, was outstanding in the Senior Bowl. And at the Senior Bowl, he worked at every single position along the line. Played tackle in the game mostly, but played guard and took some snaps at center. And what makes this intriguing to me is he grades out as one of the more athletic of this center group. There's some good centers out there, but none of them match the athleticism of Malk. When you look on mock draftable, uh, his length is only in the fifth percentile, but that's as a tackle. His length translates well to the interior offensive line. But you look, you look at his athleticism at 6'5", 302. His three-cone time was in the 93rd percentile. His short shuttle in the 84th percentile, his 40 and his bench, 82nd percent. So he's strong, he's quick, good lateral movement, and he's nasty. It's one of those dudes that rolls his jersey up, lets his belly hang out. Who's the dude last year that Denver drafted that we all liked that was a safety? I can't remember his name right now. Same kind of thing. But he just has that nasty attitude. He's got long red hair coming out of his. It's fun to watch him play football. I just wonder, it, it may open up that possibility of a guy that maybe they don't think is is ready to play center right away in the NFL. Could play guard right away. So maybe it brings a guy like that into focus. Also love the Julian Love signing. And we've talked about this on the show, I think, quite a bit over the last six weeks. I like the idea in relation to the possibility of drafting Brian Branch, the versatile safety out of Alabama. We've talked about this concept. I know Michael Thompson and I did when we did one of our mock draft shows. A guy that can play safety long-term if something happens to Diggs or if Adams doesn't come back to be what he was or if Neil gets hurt again. Love has played it every single position. But he really seems to excel, a lot of people feel like, in that slot. In fact, his, his length dimensions, all of his thresholds, all of his athletic thresholds match almost perfectly with Justin Coleman who played so well a couple years ago for the Seahawks as, as a slot corner. Was on the roster last year, but didn't play because Kobe Bryant, who was drafted out of Cincinnati in the uh, fourth round. 
was. But I've always favored moving Kobe back outside. And so if that's really truly what they feel Love's spot is, then it just it gives you so much depth now on the outside with Trey Brown and Kobe Bryant that suddenly, even though it's a very, very good cornerback draft, don't necessarily have to go looking for that. Could pass on it if your spot on the board comes up and there's another position that maybe is a bigger need. I know John keeps saying best player available, but come on. They obviously consider need. And it just kind of makes that less of a need. And, and when you do mock drafts, man, if you can pass on corner, really opens up a lot of possibilities as you get through the uh, day two, especially with some of the other needs they have. And then my thought on bringing Drew Locke back, um, I talked about it with Dana a couple of weeks ago that, that the way Geno Smith's contract was structured and how team-friendly it is, everybody's immediate assumption was, well, that makes it more likely they're going to take a quarterback at five because you can move on from him after a year or two if he's not performing up to expectations and you want to move on to someone else. That same theory applies to bringing Drew Locke back. They have said from the day they acquired him that they like him, they see the upside, they think he can be a winning NFL quarterback. Those comments didn't waver throughout the year. They loved how he conducted himself in practice, how he embraced the offense, how he worked with Shane Waldron, what kind of teammate he was. First thing out of Schneider's mouth when he came up and announced that they had signed him on that radio show was, what a great guy. What a great day for him. What a great guy. Drew Locke even talked today they made the signing actually official. He put pen to paper. Um, talked a lot about how he watched what Gino did last year to resurrect his career and sees that path for himself. And so, yes, do I think they could still take a quarterback at five? Of course. And of course... If there's a guy there that they think can be a franchise quarterback, you don't get opportunities to draft in the top 10 very often. Then it makes all the sense in the world. And I will sit here on draft night if that's what they do. And I will defend the pick because I get the reasoning behind it. I just don't think it's necessary now. And I think and I'm going to talk in just a second about where I think it fits into the big picture. I think there's an opportunity to do something this year and that that pick can be used to get more immediate production out of. They also gave Drew Locke $4 million guaranteed, which is the most money they've ever given to a backup quarterback. Geno Smith never even had $4 million guaranteed in the four years that he was signed on one-year deals. Um, so let's talk about how I think that affects the draft a little bit more. Um, obviously, all of these picks or these signings impact the draft, right? The more good players you have in your roster at certain positions, the less likely it is they're going to use a high pick to take someone at that position. Unless they just feel like this is an elite player at tremendous value, this pick, we can't not pick him. I've had this conversation a lot with people online about the idea of trading down from five. And the general consensus among the fan base seems to be that somehow after the fifth pick, there's this massive cliff in quality. And I understand where that comes from. I get it. 
because for the last few months or, or however long you turn your attention to the draft and however intense the attention is that you give to it, maybe it's just in passing. Maybe you look into it a little heavier. But the consensus has been for months that there's two slam dunk quarterbacks in the top five, two high ceiling quarterbacks that are a little more projects, Jalen Carter, Will Anderson. That's it. And then you take that group of six and fans have their own opinions. They have their own opinions about Anthony Richardson, whether he should be drafted in the top five or Will Levis. And now the opinions are varying on Jalen Carter. Is he still a top five pick? He settled his court case this week, pleaded no contest. A lot of people have come at me and said, hey, doesn't that, isn't that a positive? Doesn't that mean that he's taken accountability for what he did and it's now it's behind him? There's no more legal things. That, look, my issue with Jalen Carter, and if you have any questions, go back and listen to the last episode, haven't been about the legal stuff. It's how much does he love the game of football? And that is the number one criteria, non-physical criteria on John Schneider and Pete Carroll and their scouting staff's ledger of, of what they put weight on when they're grading these prospects. They talk about it all the time. This guy loves football. He's committed to it. He lives and breathes it. He won't let anything come in between him and his dream of being a great football player. And he wants to be great. And every day he goes on the field, he makes it known. There's no question. I question whether Jalen Carter loves football enough to make it a priority. That is my issue with him. But regardless about how you feel about that, I don't want to repeat that debate. He's not a slam dunk top five pick anymore. So I get this a lot. Well, they need to take a quarterback or they need to take Will Anderson at five if he's there. That's just it because that's the value of that pick. It's terrible after that. A, I disagree, but that doesn't even really matter, and that's not my point, because NFL teams disagree. And the Seahawks are going to stack their board in such a way that they're going to have a group of players that they feel good about, and if, if the board falls a certain way and they get to five, and they take the four names off the board, and they look at what they have left, they look at maybe their next four or five guys. If they think that those players are graded evenly with their grading system and their minds on their board and Vegas calls or Atlanta calls and gives them something of great value to move up to that pick, they're going to move down. That's how it works. If they're sitting at five and there's a guy that that's that's grade on their board is six points higher than the next guy, then they're going to stick and pick. That's if they're true to their board. I do think that the signings that we've seen so far in free agency give them so much more flexibility. You don't have to go into the draft. This is another thing I'll say real quick too. I get a lot of this from people that want to talk draft with me and I'll talk draft all day. If you've debated with me or, or engaged in any way on Twitter, you know that I love to talk draft. But there are so many people out there who feel like the way to go into a draft is thusly. We need a defensive lineman at five. 
We needed an interior offensive lineman at 20. Then we need an edge player at 37. And then maybe a receiver. You know what I mean? It's not how it works. And that's not how any football team does it. It's not. So I would challenge you if that's the way you feel. Do these simulators. Try different ones too because they all have different algorithms and different boards. And try to be open-minded and see these different combinations because it's how it happens. Teams go into drafts with a perfect scenario in mind. Of course they do. It almost never goes that way. They have to be able to adapt. It's a process. It's fluid all the way through. I'll finish with this today. Here's why I think there's a very good reason that the Seahawks are being more aggressive than we've ever seen from them in free agency. More assertive, more proactive, more targeted in what they're doing. They don't give a shit about compensatory draft picks, as they shouldn't. I think a team trying to win shouldn't care about next year's compensatory draft picks. And and the teams that play that game, I think, do so to a fault sometimes. But I think the Seahawks see two things. Number one, they feel good about their roster, and they think even with how poorly that front seven performed last year, they feel like they can fix it in this offseason. The offense is going to be good enough. They're good enough in other areas that they can put a dynamic roster on the field in 2023 and be more competitive than they were last year. In general, I think that's how they feel. More specifically, I think they're looking at what's happening with the Arizona Rams and the LA, or the, the LA Rams and the Arizona Cardinals right now, and they see a window. They look around the NFC. They see a lot of building teams. They see Aaron Rodgers is going to be leaving the Green Bay Packers now. There's some teams on the up, but there's some teams that are going through some youth movements in the NFC. Tom Brady doesn't exist anymore, right? There's been some changes. I think the balance of power has been shifting to the AFC the last couple of years. I think it took another step even more so this year. But they look at what's happening with the Cardinals, hiring a new head coach, losing some significant free agents. And now what's happening with the Rams, it looks like a total rebuild is happening there. Somebody used the T word with me yesterday. It looks like they might be tanking. That whole thing when Sean McVay at the end of the season flirted with television and maybe walking away. And a lot of people assume maybe he was in the process of walking away when he gave his entire staff permission to look elsewhere around the league for jobs. And they decided pretty quickly to come back. And the immediate thought, at least I had it, and I think a lot of other people did too, is okay, they think they can make one more run at it. Get Cooper cut back from injury, Aaron Donald healthy, Matthew Stafford. You saw those reports leak out that Stafford was, was throwing the ball well and he was healthy. And then they just started letting people go left and right. Like they trade Jalen Ramsey for a fifth round pick and a tight end who's played three snaps or has three catches in his career. They let guys like Greg Gaines walk. A lot of their own players, Leonard Floyd, they're just no effort to resign them. I think they're in total rebuild. There's reports that they're trying. They would like to, to trade Matthew Stafford. So I think what happened, it's pretty clear to me from the outside in, was McVay thought about retiring, and then he went back to Les Snead and the owners there and said, all right, I'm going to stick around, but you know what? Let's, let's do this. Let's turn over. Because next year, there's some cool quarterbacks that I would love to, that I would love. Lost my camera on the live feed. Sorry about that, guys. Don't know what happened there. But there's some guys out there next year's quarterback draft that I would love to pursue. I'd love to have a shot at, right? Drake May, Caleb Williams, 
potentially Quinn Ewers, uh, Michael Penix, um, go on and on. There's a bunch of guys we've talked about that before. We'll talk about it again. I think I think the LA Rams are in total tank mode. Um, how does Aaron Donald feel about that? And when are we going to start hearing the Aaron Donald trade rumors, right? I'll bet you, not a betting guy, but between now and the draft, you'll hear something about that. Like if somebody wanted to come along and offer a couple of first round picks for Aaron Donald, you think the Rams would listen to it now? I don't know. Maybe not. He's such an iconic player. Maybe he's one that you just hang on to. But how happy is he going to be to go through this? But I think the Seahawks are seeing that. And not that they weren't going to go out and try to improve the team in free agency somehow this year anyway, but maybe that's why they were a little more aggressively or aggressively pursuing their moves this offseason. Remember, the day they signed Draymond Jones, they were trying to sign Zach Allen also. Imagine if they had gotten that done. Might not have seen Julian Love come aboard or Devin Bush. But uh, that would have been huge. That would have been probably the biggest story in the NFL that day. Uh, speaking of Devin Bush, I didn't touch on him. I'll get to him before we leave. Um, lots and lots and lots of um, mixed feelings about that signing because of the reaction from Pittsburgh Steeler fans. I think Devin Bush was kind of our Cody Barton. Steeler fans hated his performance the last couple of years. Felt like he never came back from that ACL injury, that he lost his explosiveness, that he was afraid to tackle. Um even though he only had eight missed tackles last year, had a 1.8% missed tackle rate, one of the best in the league, but that he had lost that dynamic, explosive nature that made him such a beast. Go watch Devin Bush highlights from his time in Michigan. Holy shit. But 24 years old. He's one of those guys that usually, you don't want to judge players by their highlight reel, right? You want to watch full game tape, watch their good and their bad. But Devin Bush is a guy that, that go back, go on YouTube. You can find it. It's about a five and a half minute highlight reel, reel of Devin Bush 2022 Pittsburgh Steeler highlights. And you see a player there. You can see the instincts. You see the way he works through traffic better than Cody Barton did. Maybe better than Jordan Brooks did. The way he takes on and sheds blocks or some good technical aspects to his game. And I talked to a couple Steeler fans that thought near the end of the year, before he got benched, incidentally, that his speed was coming back. So maybe two years past the injury, the Seahawks are looking at what he can be and also the fact it wasn't that big of a contract. And they're just taking a shot. Uh, Linebacker is definitely going to be a priority in this draft, even if they bring in Bobby Wagner. If you open next season with Bobby Wagner and Devin Bush, you're starting linebackers with Jordan Brooks or Devin. Did I say Devin Brooks? Devin Bush. Jordan Brooks coming back off of injury. Uh, you're still hunting for linebacker in this draft. Um, I'd like to see when I work through scenarios, they have 10 picks, they might end up with 11 or 12. I'd like to see him draft one kind of traditional run stuffing, stack and shed interior linebacker, a guy like Jack Campbell. And also one that can run and cover and be more versatile, a guy like Drew Sanders or Dan Henley or uh, Dorian Williams out of Tulane's the other guy. Uh, there's some questions about his ability to step up and play the run, but not his ability to cover. And in this day and age with as much nickel and uh, as the Seahawks are probably going to play, as most teams play, um, I'd like to see him add one of those guys as well. So those are my thoughts for today. Uh, we'll see what happens um, with the Al Wood signing, if anything. It may have just been a corresponding move to, to Drew Locke officially signing his contract today. And remember, too, that whatever you see for the available cap space numbers, 
Those are never updated that quickly. If you go on over the cap or spot track today, it says about $11.5 million. Um, but they don't have the Bush or the Love signings on there yet, which is odd because it's been five or six days. Um, but you play around with those calculators and you see, oh, they're running out of cap space. Remember that $10, $11, 12000000 million that they'll need to sign their draft picks. They don't have to account for that until they sign their draft picks. You can spend that money. You can get down to $0 in available cap space tomorrow. You just have to figure out a way to make it up before the draft. And we've talked about some of the ways you can do that and potential restructures and things like that. So uh, typically the Seahawks don't do that stuff though until after the draft, until they get closer to training camp. So if there is a Uchenna Nuosu or a Noah Fant extension coming along or a restructure of digs or something along those lines, probably won't see it until um, after the draft. Anyway, those are my thoughts for today. Again, thank you for joining me on the uh, what's the first episode of the Seahawks Forever podcast, but uh, just a continuation of the Field Goals podcast. Um, and you know, I mean, I've been Seahawks forever, forever on Twitter. So it was only a matter of time, I guess, before the Seahawks or the uh, podcast was called that. So again, subscribe. It's the best way you can support the show. Subscribe on YouTube or subscribe on whichever podcast app you're listening to. If you're listening to the uh, audio only version of this, um, that way you'll get notifications when new episodes come out and I will try to be as active as possible in uh, reacting to any news. And we're going to start getting pretty deep into some draft preview and some draft breakdowns. We'll do a position by position breakdown, do some more mock drafts and uh, man, this off season has been fun already. It's going to get even more fun as we continue. So we'll talk to you about it as soon as possible. Uh, I've got a bunch of comments lined up. Uh, won't have time to get to them on the show today, but I'll hit you on Twitter until then till next time. Go Hawks.